To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The rest of Sam Bankman-Fried is welcome news. They use QuickBooks, a multi-billion dollar company using QuickBooks. QuickBooks? The fact is, crypto is a garden of snakes. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My goal is simple. Get price increases under control without joking off economic growth. Simply put, this is one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. I do think he probably did say this is a BFD. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Sam Bankman-Fried is arrested and Congress starts asking the hard questions. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with billions of dollars missing from FTX. The company's new CEO testifies on Capitol Hill And we're joined by two members of the House Financial Services Committee who did the asking. Democrat Brad Sherman from California, Republican Andy Barr of Kentucky, straight ahead on Sound On. And as President Biden takes credit for lowering inflation today, we talk the politics of pricing with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with analysis on all of our top stories. Of course, thought Sam Bankman-Fried would testify today. You see how many journalists came to Washington for this one? I mean, that was the plan until we learned he was being held in prison this morning in a jail in the Bahamas after being arrested, as you heard from Charlie Pellet. In the headline that just went out on the terminal, Sam Bankman-Fried denied bail by a Bahamas judge ordered to return to jail. But of course, the show must go on here in Washington. And there was another notable uh witness to speak before the House Financial Services Committee, chaired by Maxine Waters. Here she is. This allowed the firm to effectively gamble with customer money uh, without their knowledge or consent. If FTX was registered as a securities exchange, several laws would have required the segregation of customer assets and prevented such clear conflicts of interest. The conflicts of interest, the lack of a firewall, a big part of the conversation today. How did this happen at FTX? John Ray is the, the man who's been brought in to figure all of this out. He's, he's the man who comes in after the storm, right? They even brought him into Enron after that debacle, and he is now helping to push this company through bankruptcy while also conducting an investigation. He can't believe the stuff he's seen, and he doesn't even know what he hasn't seen. Speaking to that conflict of interest introduced by Maxine Waters, listen to John Ray. That's the major breakdown here. Uh, Funds from FTX.com, which was the exchange for uh, non-U.S. citizens. Uh, Those funds were used at Alameda to make investments and other disbursements. Among those questioning... Mr. Ray, Congressman Andy Barr, Republican from Kentucky. Again, this is House Financial Services Committee. We're going to speak, as I mentioned, with a Republican and a Democrat on the panel. 
And we start now with Congressman Barster. Welcome back to Bloomberg. Uh, great to be with you. I appreciate, uh, Joe, you having me on the program. Well, thank you for being here. Pretty remarkable testimony today uh, from John Ray. Did you learn anything new? I, th- I think we did. I, we knew this was a huge scandal. We knew that this was uh, uh, one of the greatest frauds in American investment history. But what we learned was uh, that this was a total and complete failure of all internal controls and governance, as uh, the new CEO, Mr. Ray, pointed out, uh, there was absolute concentration of control uh, of this business and these various businesses in the hands of a very small group of, in his his words, grossly inexperienced and unsophisticated individuals Hmm. who, who failed to implement virtually any of the systems or controls necessary for a company that is entrusted with other people's assets. And, um, you know, the result is a million creditors. And if you think of some of the other scandals in American business history, Enron, the accounting scandal, or uh, the the Bernie Madoff scandal, uh, you you know, you you had a number of individuals uh, hurt. uh, But the size and scale of uh, the the victims of this uh, fraud uh, are enormous and really overshadow those those other scandals. Well, you brought up this lack of accounting, if, if I can even use that term in your exchange with John Ray today. Let's listen. There's a whole lot of uh, financial statements that are either not audited or not available. Is that fair to say? That's, that's fair to say. Um, in your declaration, you stated that you did not believe that those audited financial statements were reliable. Can you elaborate on why you believe that to be the case? Well, we've lost $8 billion right, of customer money. So by definition, uh, I don't trust a single piece of paper in this organization. Are you surprised, Congressman, by how little John Ray knows after a couple of weeks of, of investigating and how little he trusts still at this point? Well, no, because this was an unprecedented case of mismanagement and fraud where there was a gross lack of documentation, yeah. um, but both in terms of you know a lack of financial statements to begin with and, and then the financial statements that are available and that were audited, uh, he doesn't have uh, confidence that they are reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, 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 the major point that he was making uh, was that um, there's, there's simply a lack of documentation, utter lack of record keeping was what he said, and, and, and no internal controls. Um, and, and the fact that there was so much commingling of assets uh, and use of customer funds yeah. for um, risky trading, uh, and also um, for you know diversion to uh, things like the FTX Foundation, which was not core to the business, uh, the various affiliates of the FTX Foundation. Uh, there again, this was a man, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, who basically stole money from unwitting investors and diverted it into risky trading or other. Uh, political or charitable causes uh, that resulted in massive losses for those investors. Will he ever testify, do you think? And were you concerned about the timing of this arrest that was expressed by several members? Yeah, I am concerned about the timing. I mean, I think uh, there was bipartisan concern about about the timing. I know, and I spoke to Chair Waters. She wanted uh, him to testify. I don't know of any prosecutor or why the Department of Justice would want to thwart uh, the testimony of an individual who's uh, uh, prepared to go under oath by WebEx. There was no real flight risk that I can understand. They had uh, the cooperation of the Bahamian authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not go ahead and allow 
uh, this individual to continue to lie under oath and and build the case. Uh, but we look forward to uh, exercising the oversight along with the Judiciary Committee to find out uh, why the Department of Justice felt the time was right just ahead of this hearing uh, to thwart that testimony um, and um, and and pursue extradition at that time. They certainly let them do a lot of interviews, Congressman, before this hearing. Well, they did. They did indeed, and um, uh, we just see again and again uh, misrepresentations and concealments and obfuscation of the truth from uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. And uh, as I pointed out in my questioning of Mr. Ray today, you know, it was just a year ago that he was in front of our committee testifying. Uh, that uh, the model, the FTX model, was a risk-reducing model and that there were bad actors in the digital asset, asset space, but FTX was not one of them. Of course, this was wrong. The other, the other point that I made was uh, this, uh, the ESG ratings out there, the governance ratings, were so wildly inaccurate when evaluating this firm for investors and this crypto exchange for investors. And I think that has to be investigated as well. Uh, why is it that we have an ESG ratings uh, company that gives FTX a higher governance rating than ExxonMobil when FTX didn't even have an independent board of directors? I'm trying to figure out, Congressman, how bipartisan this effort is, how much you see eye to eye with your Democratic colleagues, knowing that SBF was a prolific Democratic uh, fundraiser and donor, and, and frequently, Democrats and Republicans just have a different view of crypto. Is, is there sunlight between the two parties on this? I think there's some sunlight, but I also think there's opportunity for collaboration and bipartisanship. Uh, Ranking Member McHenry and Chair Waters actually collaborated quite closely on this hearing. This is uh, the first of many hearings, and we really, and I think in a bipartisan way, worked to establish the basic facts here. Of course, there was editorializing. After all, it's Congress, and you're going to have some editorializing and some uh, difference of opinions. And to your point about, uh, about uh, donations to Democrats and the changed schedule uh, with uh, uh, the regulators, with um, uh, Chairman Gensler, we want to we get to the bottom of that. Um, to what extent was Sam Bankman-Fried and his associates at FTX trying to buy influence, both in Congress um, to get favorable regulatory treatment and also from the Securities and Exchange Commission? And I think um, uh, Chair Gensler has a lot to answer to here. Um, he will say that he was sounding the alarm on the lack of registration by some of these crypto firms. But the truth is, existing laws were in place that enabled him and authorized him to crack down on some of this behavior, and he failed to act. And I think he had information available to him. So I think we want to definitely hold the Securities and Exchange Commission accountable in future hearings. And one final point when we look at the connections between the FTX Foundation and the Future Fund and the FTX Climate Organization, mm-hmm. um, what we're finding is that Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX is the face of environmental, social, and governance investing, and that this is, a, this is as much of a fraud as anything else uh, when you have a company that's trying to attract investors with uh, you know trendy political causes and not focusing on investor protection and investor returns, you end up with a scandal like this. Well, there's a lot there to talk about. Congressman Andy Barr, thank you for the insights following that hearing today and for being with us again on Bloomberg. 
Great to be with you. So a 14-page indictment. This goes back to 2019. The indictment says Bankman-Fried devised a scheme to defraud FTX customers and investors, diverting their money to pay expenses and debts at the hedge fund, Alameda Research. So while we're talking digital currencies and coins here, this is good old-fashioned fraud if it pans out, as the congressman was suggesting. Uh, Let's assemble the panel for their first swing at this. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Happy to report Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, is this for Washington or or for law enforcement to fix? Oh, I think it's all of the above, right? I mean, if you look at what's been said both today and even coming into today, um, there is there is a lot of work to be done around the regulatory framework. And that's both the administration uh, and on Congress's heads. Uh, and, and in addition to that, it's just... Uh, a lot to be done around law enforcement on this. In other words, jurisdiction and 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 the kinds of things that uh, investors look at and say, how safe is it to me to put my money to work here? And I think there was this false sense of security around this one. And, uh, and I think you know, in this case, hopefully it does not become a partisan uh, melee. I think it's interesting. The congressman started working out the ESG attack yeah. lines on this. How about and, that? Uh, you know, look, I mean, everyone's going to make good use of it. Uh, but as long as that doesn't seep into the regulatory uh, actions, I think, you know, uh, uh, fair enough in, 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 in the government work. Congressman Barb did bring up the ESG component during his questioning of the CEO, Jeannie. I mean, you heard him articulate it probably more efficiently here in this interview uh, as he had a chance to, to kind of talk through this, that, that that it basically you know propped up this company to be something that it was not but is esg the problem you know i think it's one of the problems i don't think it's the only problem and you know i looked at this from the perspective of congress you know you had john tester out over the weekend saying look folks if we regulate this we legitimize it so one question is going to be do you regulate it most people say the horse is out of the barn you got to regulate it but then you know a thousand questions emerge from that is Congress equipped to regulate it? They have shown zero ability to regulate in high-tech areas. And this is the, you know, the absolute highest tech area. That's number one. Number two, who do they turn to to help them regulate it? Let's see. They turn to the likes of Sam Bankman fried He was spending more <laughs> times in Washington. And with not right. Sam Bankman fried who is going to be the next Sam Bankman fried we don't know about publicly, but who's donating millions of dollars behind the scenes? So, so many questions about that. And And, you know, that's why I think they cannot escape the donations that he made. And the question of timing of this arrest is critical. And I think Congress on both sides was a thousand percent right to press on that. Why do this last night? After all, two hours before he was arrested, Sam Bankman-Fried said he wasn't going to be arrested. He's then arrested and we're robbed of hearing him publicly as we should have been able to outside the scope of his bizarre media uh, circus that he's been, you know. Well, what do you make of that? Rick, did he do himself? I mean, did, did did law enforcement do SBF a favor by arresting him last night? Well, I, I think it's a kind of a silly argument to say, oh, well, we should have heard him tell us more lies. I mean, I just, you know, <laughs> why, okay. why do we care about that? That sounds I mean, like it, though. You know, he's, he's been lying all along and we want one more hour of, you know, SBF's lying. I, I don't get it. I mean, the guy, you know, frankly, sounds like he deserves to be in jail. And I think he's right in the right place. It does not serve a public interest to have a man either incriminate himself in front of Congress hmm. more than he already has or lie to the American people 
uh, with the far chance that maybe someone believes him. And so I think if law enforcement had a case to be made against him, and obviously the indictments spell it out, then he deserves to be in jail. And we, sh- we should pick, quit carping about who was able to get the most lies out of him before he was incarcerated. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, you'll pick your podcast because, you know, as I alluded, he certainly did his share of, of interviews. Uh, Jeannie, we only have 30 seconds. We're going to have a Democrat on next, Congressman Brad Sherman. Uh, who is not a crypto guy, how much are the donations going to hamper Democrats from having credibility on this? Uh, it's it's going to hamper them. And he asked, you know, made one of the most, I think, important statements of the whole session. And I'm going to disagree with, with my friend Rick on that. I yeah, think he what? should testify. I'll tell you about yeah. that later. I know you got to go. <laughs> All right. No, I want to hear more from Jeannie and Rick on this. We're going to hear as well from some of the other lawmakers who had some great zingers in that hearing today. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The committee will come to order. I'm so deeply troubled to learn how common it was for Bankman Freed and FTX employees to steal from the cookie jar of customer funds to finance their lavish lifestyles. Literally... You know, there's no record keeping whatsoever. It's the absence of record keeping. I don't get the point of um, cryptocurrency to begin with, um, other than, you know, if you're a terrorist or someone that wants to hide money. My fear is that we'll view Sam Bankman Freed as just one big snake in a crypto garden of Eden. The fact is, crypto is a garden of snakes. So let's say I have Dogecoin, or I don't even know how you say it, but I have 10 Dogecoin, yeah. which uh, a year ago, is it Dogecoin or Dogecoin? Doge, Dogecoin. All right, Doge, I have 10 Dogecoins, all right? Uh, they use QuickBooks, a multi-billion dollar company using QuickBooks. QuickBooks? QuickBooks. What about the Dogecoin, the Dogecoin, whatever the coin? The fact of the matter is, SBF could get a 115 years. That's what we're looking at here, huh? Not according to U.S. prosecutors. And then I start asking myself, how about John Ray? This has got to be the most thankless job you could find. What's he getting paid? It's in the court filings. $1,300 an hour. He's billing $1,300 an hour for his work. So I don't know. If this takes a minute, he could do pretty well then, I guess. Now, we're expecting to talk to Brad Sherman in a minute. We wanted to bring you a Democrat after the Republican we spoke with, Andy Barr. 
at the top of the hour. They are both members of the House Financial Services Committee. I know Congressman Sherman is running a little late here, and we'll talk to him as soon as he gets a moment. These guys are pretty busy today, as you might suspect. He did leave a mark on that hearing, though, and you just heard a brief part of it. The Garden of Snakes. I mean, there was poetry in the air in the hearing room. Here's Brad Sherman again. My fear is that we'll view Sam Bankman-Fried as just one big snake in a crypto garden of Eden. The fact is, crypto is a garden of snakes. Not a big fan of the crypto. And he did bring up, by the way, the lack of firewall and the donations all in one breath as Congressman Sherman did the Q&A with, again, John Ray. He is the new head of FTX. Listen. I hope that what you will turn over is a list of the major uh, bonuses and or loans. It's reported that Ryan Salome got a $55 million loan so that uh, law enforcement can piece together when those loans and bonuses were made and whether they immediately preceded uh, illegal campaign, uh, disguised campaign contributions. Uh, can we count on you to do that? Yes, I can confirm that. Disguised campaign contributions. And so you wonder, uh, we have some things that we want to ask Congressman Sherman, just like we did Congressman Barr, and we have the panel standing by as well. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Uh, that's uh, it's being telegraphed in advance, almost, Jeannie, from both sides, the concerns that both sides have in the questions they're asking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I thought in addition to those clips you just played, I thought Representative Sherman made a really important additional statement in which he warned his his colleagues in Congress. You know, he said, don't trash Sam Bankman Freed and then pass his bill, because, again, this is the guy who was lobbying Congress pushing for this legislation, which many people described as, you know, crypto light legislation. And this is the problem we have with Congress is they turn to insiders. There is a revolving door when it comes to these regulations. And this is who they turn to because they simply don't have the expertise to do it themselves. I'm not suggesting they should, but this is why I would have wanted to hear from Sam Bankman Freed today, if possible. I don't need any more of him in interviews. I've heard enough. What I want is I want our representatives in Congress to face him, and I want to see how these two entities, Congress and Sam Bankman-Fried, who have been, you know, he's been funding them, he's been donating a lot of money, how do they interact? And I think as the American public, we are owed that to see that interaction between some people who took money from him and how they deal with him now. Well, what should be done with these donations, Rick? I mean, is it enough to return them, or what, what do they do? Well, at a minimum, they need to be returned either to <clears throat> the source that they got them or a, uh, a, a charitable contribution to a worthy group. Uh, obviously, uh, if you don't know the actual genesis of the contribution, and by the way, pox on your house for mm-hmm. not knowing, uh, then certainly don't give it back to the criminals who gave it to you. You know, give it to a veterans group or something you think is a appropriate charity. But uh, anybody who's holding on to this money by the year end, um, is a scandal. Uh, you know you if you got it, and and you got to get rid of it because it's not an honorable way to to raise funds in the public trust. Uh, and I would say too, um, uh, you know, where's the investigation by the Federal Election Commission? Right. The first thing that these guys ought to do is immediately launch an investigation into this because <clears throat> this is a funding scandal. Right. And mm-hmm. and if you're ever going to have an opportunity to reform the process, which is completely bankrupt. Uh, 
this is the opportunity to say, let's see how this happened, why it happened, and, and how do we tighten our seals to make sure that things like this don't happen again? Because we can't have tens of billions of dollars every election cycle floating around and not know where it came from. Yeah. It just really reinforces how many layers there are here, right? It's a funding scandal. Uh, to your point, Rick, it is a corporate scandal. It's an investing scandal. Uh, and, and they each threaten to snuff each other out. In the way people see this, uh, Jeannie, you wonder how deep people are reading into this outside of the investment community, because it could be a huge political story. It, it could be a huge political story. And let's not forget it also, you know, is widens the scope. We had a lot of celebrities over the Super Bowl and beyond endorsing right. this industry, making it palatable for people like, quite frankly, my own kids to invest in mm. something that they don't know anything about. Mm. And so, you know, the, the scope is wide. To Rick's point, $37 million to Democrats, 240000 to the GOP that we know about. In addition, we're hearing some dark money went out from him to Republicans. And it's not just about Sam Bankman Freed. Congress needs to know, we need to know how far this extends into the industry itself, because it is, again, a wild, wild rest of the financial industry. Well, so what's next here, uh, Rick? Are we going to be uh, sending subpoenas to Tom Brady or what? Well, look, uh, I, I think if the pot right, uh, if the pot's right, I think these guys, like Jeannie mentioned, who are out there endorsing this without having the diligence of knowing whether or not they are working with a bona fide legal entity that is within the laws and regulations of our country, uh, they're at risk. And and so certainly it's going to take some shine off of their uh, stars uh, on Hollywood. But at the end of the day, uh, I think everybody today is subject to some form of investigation who were doing business with FTX and for whatever reason might have helped add legitimacy to what was otherwise a massive criminal enterprise. Incredible stuff here with Rick and Jeannie and now Congressman Brad Sherman. As promised, we had an interesting dive with a Republican uh, from the committee, of course, in Andy Barr. And Brad Sherman, the Democrat from California, is with us now, also a member of the House Financial Services Committee. Congressman, thank you for being here uh, on a busy day. We were we were regaling our listeners with the Garden of Snakes before you joined us. Your remarks were really something uh, in front of the committee today. What do you think? Of John Ray, I think he's doing a good job. But the the barn door was open, the horses left, and uh, we'll see what he uh, what he can do. Do you have an allergy to crypto, uh, just in general? And there's no wrong answers here. This isn't like a crypto I'm show on kidding. Bloomberg or anything. But I can see you're not a fan. No, the I've been trying for five years to either ban American investment in crypto or to force the entire crypto ecosystem to follow the know your customer rules. Mm -hmm. They won't do that because the whole purpose of crypto, the business plan, is to be a secret currency, hence the term cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. and to compete with the U.S. dollar by having one advantage over the U.S. dollar, and that is that it's a currency that can be better used by those uh, who engage in uh, sanctions evasion, tax evasion. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried will tell you about bankruptcy court evasion, Hmm. uh, drug dealing, et cetera. There's a huge market for hidden money. $100 bills are very inconvenient. And uh, um, ultimately, crypto aspires to be a currency. Right now, it's kind of a pet rock. But it aspires to be a currency. 
going to get all kinds of tweets. You must get great tweets. Uh, so, look, with, with all of that said, is this the moment here? Is FTX a crypto story? Is this sort of the, the hook that leads to the regulation? Or is this just an old-fashioned offshore robbery story? Um, my fear is that it will be regarded as the latter. Hmm. And the fact is, though, when you're dealing with an enterprise, the whole purpose of which is to come up with a currency system that allows you to evade American financial law, then you're going to be dealing with people who are going to evade American financial law. Uh, If you go into the business of making burglary tools, you shouldn't be surprised if your factory is burglarized by burglars. (laughs) Uh, Talk to us about the donations, Congressman. Are you concerned the Democrats who took money from Sam Bankman-Fried could have uh, could bring credibility issues to this story. Are are the two parties prepared to tackle this together? Well, uh, the fact is, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, did an interview last month in which he said he gave as much money to Republicans as Democrats, but the Republican money he gave to dark money organizations, and he explained why, and it made perfect sense. He says the press is liberal, probably is, and they would have beaten him up for giving money to Republicans. So he gives the Republican money under the table, gives the Democratic money uh, uh, over the table. Uh, He's an equal opportunity influence purchaser. And then uh, 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 Ryan Salome, the co-CEO of uh, one of the FTX enterprises, did Mm -hmm. another $22, $23 million exclusively to Republicans. So uh, What favors did they want? they, They had one thing. Keep the SEC out of the crypto world. Hmm. And uh, the, point, the point I made to my colleagues today is don't come here and trash Sam Bankman-Fried and then pass his bill. His hmm. bill is designed to provide a little patina of regulation to crypto uh, to give authority to the CFTC, a much weaker regulatory organization, and then make people feel safe. Uh, not that they're going to feel safe any time in the next few months, yeah. The, the memories fade, but they don't fade immediately. Uh, so that's his bill. He's got two versions of it. We've got to block it. Whether we could pass positive legislation to give the SEC uh, a jurisdiction over all crypto, um, that's going to be harder because all the money and power is in the hands of the crypto billionaire bros. There's no lobbyist or PAC here. Mm-hmm. Um, focused on fair tax enforcement or uh, sanctions enforcement. Well, it sounds to me then, uh, Congressman, that you would support an investigation and, and a public reveal on all the donations, who accepted them, and how much. Well, uh, at least on the Democratic side, that's all a matter well, of that, public right. record. That would have and, to be and, uh, and audited would, I, and, in the dark money world. That I, look, not just from crypto. They're not the only folks uh, using dark money to uh, have uh, a hidden effect on, uh, on on politics. We ought to get rid of dark money and uh, or light it up, which, of course, yeah. it's not dark money anymore. Well, is it traceable uh, yeah. in this case? Well, we're cert- I mean, uh, certainly... Did your committee Mr. find that? I think Mr. Ray's more likely to tell us about it. And, huh. you know, one of the indictments uh, from the Southern District of New York is violations of campaign finance laws. And uh, my question to Mr. Ray is whether he'll cooperate in, uh, 
identifying, because one thing that happens sometimes is the corporation gives money to the executive with the understanding they're going to use it for politics, yeah. is to identify uh, the uh, when uh, 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 Mr. Salome got the $55 million in loans and other payments and see if there's a, a coincidence in time to uh, political spending. Boy, this is wild. Does it end up in the hands of the SEC if if you don't succeed in banning U.S. investment in crypto? Do you trust Gary Gensler with handling this? Well, I want him to do more. We had hearings in July before my subcommittee in which I had the head of enforcement there, and I beat him pretty hard over the idea that you say that crypto, or most of it, is a security, and so you go after it on that basis. Mm-hmm. But then you don't go after the securities exchanges. And if, a, if crypto is a security, then a crypto exchange is a security exchange, and they have not gone after that. Um, and the SEC often, they, 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 their time frame tends to be in decades or half decades, and you can't, you can't live in that world, uh, in the crypto world. So what uh, comes next from the committee here, then, as you seek the, the, the paperwork here? You've got, obviously, John Ray needs a lot of time. He's, he's digging out of this massive hole, and, and it doesn't appear he's even made a dent yet with what he referred to as dozens of terabytes of material left to go through. Uh, what is the purpose of the committee here, uh, short of referring criminal charges, which obviously he's already been arrested? Do you need to bring him to the committee in person or virtually to testify before this is done? There isn't a criminal defense lawyer in the world who wouldn't be disbarred for incompetence if he allowed his client to come before our committee. After <laughs> okay. So that's not going to happen. Do you question uh, the timing of the arrest? Uh, no, I think the prosecutors uh, did what they, I don't think they were focused on, no, let's, let's not let Maxine Waters get a crack at him. Uh, no, they, they, they acted as soon as they, they could. And uh, it, it uh, 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 obviated the, one question I had for Bankman Fried, I was going to act to ask him whether he had consulted with uh, with attorneys to find jurisdictions that wouldn't extradite him, and the obvious answer is no, he didn't. Wow. Or at least he didn't take their advice. Yeah, right. This is pretty incredible stuff, Congressman. How do you follow up on it then with this committee? I think that as far as FTX, that's in the hands of the SEC, but especially of uh, the Southern District of New York and the bankruptcy courts. Uh, my fear is that this will be regarded as one snake in the Garden of Eden. And my job is to convince my colleagues that uh, crypto is a garden of snakes. And that uh, my guess is that we can st- that we're not going to be able to pass good regula- good legislation because the, the other crypto bros are here and they got their lobbyists and their backs. But I think we can stop bad legislation, and that means the SEC will have not all the authority they ought to have, but a whole lot of authority. And um, hopefully we'll push them into to using it uh, more than they have been. Can you get regulation through the U.S. House or the Republican majority? Uh, legislation, no. Regulation is in the hands of the SEC and will go forward unless uh, the SEC is bow, browbeaten into stopping, and I don't think that'll happen. You want to help them write it, though, don't you? Um, I They hear from me often. <laughs> 
Thank They're you for talking with me, They're welcome to all the hope they want and maybe a little beyond that. I'm just trying to get a sense of how much sunlight there is between Democrats and Republicans on this issue. Everyone seems to have a different angle, and you've got the complexities oh, the, of the it, donations. There are huge differences, but they're not necessarily Democrat versus Republican. Uh, I do think that there is more support on the Republican side for what I call uh, patriotic anarchism, where you pound the table and you say America should be the most powerful country in the world, and uh, we should do everything possible to make sure that the federal government can't collect taxes. Um, If you look at history, the the countries that are successful in international affairs, the countries that can collect taxes. And uh, I, I, I will put it this way. Um, I fear that every time a billionaire uh, yeah. cheats on his taxes, uh, yeah. a member of the Freedom Caucus win- gets his wings. Thanks for talking with us today, Congressman Brad Sherman. Uh, a pleasure here on the hearing day to have both a Democrat and a Republican. This is the type of conversation we strive for on Sound On, and it's one that you're not going to hear anywhere else. We're going to turn just a bit to the matter of inflation, the big CPI report out today and what it meant for the White House. By the way, did you hear Joe Biden now acting as an economist and making a prediction on prices for next year, even though he didn't want to? It's all ahead. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Great headline on the terminal. Powell's most important U.S. inflation indicator cools again. You, of course, know what that is. With a slice of the consumer price index that Charlie just referred to that Jay Powell flagged recently as potentially most important for determining the outlook moderated again in November. Could it be real? Services prices, excluding energy services and rents, up one-tenth of one percent last month. After logging increases in October and in September, gosh, up eight-tenths in September, according to Bloomberg calculations, couldn't do this without the terminal. So good news, right? CPI, something good to think about after you woke up and heard about Sam Bankman-Fried being arrested and all this other stuff. 8.30, blam, markets go into rally mode. And of course, at the White House, they say, well, we got to get the boss out. We've got to get him out in front of the cameras. This is these these are the moments. Don't waste it. And he did uh, address the nation from the Roosevelt Room. Economic advisors flanking him with uh, good things to say. Here's President Biden. In a world where inflation is rising at double digits in many major economies around the world, inflation is coming down in America. 
In fact, this new report is the fifth month in a row where annual inflation has fallen in the United States. And so we wanted to talk about this, the political side of it, of course. We've already heard the market side. Courtney Rosenberger is with us, Managing Director at Strategus. Courtney, thank you for uh, for your patience, and it's great to have you at the moment here. It, people are very reluctant to start ringing the bell on inflation. We've got a Fed meeting resuming tomorrow. We're going to give back all these good feelings as soon as Jay Powell does the Q&A tomorrow, or are you are you taking heart in this data? Yeah, thank you for having me. Certainly, we feel like the inflation data, it's good news for the Biden administration. Anytime that you have an inflation data point and this period uh, where it comes in below estimates, that's good news for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, we still find inflation, and that means that it's going to be the focus for monetary and fiscal policy over the next year. So our chief economist at Strategas is still expecting a 50 basis point hike, yep. softer data gives the Fed some room to be less aggressive here, but we still have a Fed funds, a terminal target rate at five to five and a quarter percent for early mm -hmm. next year. Um, and we're also going to see it as a focal point for Congress. We're seeing that right now with the omnibus negotiations where Republicans citing the massive fiscal spending we've had, tying it to inflation. They're trying to limit the non-defense discretionary spending increases. And then next year, particularly with the debt ceiling and other issues, inflation is going to be a focal point. Well, boy, and I was feeling so good about things, Courtney. Uh, of course, I knew you were going to say that, though. We can't read into these data. I hate doing that with the singular plural. It's these data. Uh, but when you see, you know, Wall Street take off like that, you almost start to get nervous. Like, well, here we go again, especially the day before the Fed announcement and news conference. What's Jay Powell going to tell us tomorrow? I mean, I think it's pretty consensus, the 50 basis points, but mm -hmm. I'm sure that he's probably going to try to temper expectations. Um, well, yeah, because they had a party today. He's got to play yeah. angry dad tomorrow and tell us that, you know, things aren't as good as we think. Again, I mean, we're at five to five and a quarter for the terminal funds rate. I think some estimates have come out today being a little bit um, saying that we're going to be below five percent could be, you know, four, four and a half. That's that's not where we are. We're more pessimistic, I think, than maybe some of the street got today. You probably heard uh, he's on his way out the room today. And my gosh, you know, what a way to make a living in front of cameras and microphones. Uh, you know, it's all a big ad lib. All the reporters are trying to get you. He says, I'm not answering any questions until later. Then, of course, somebody yells a question and he answers it. And it had to do with, you know, where do you see? Well, listen, the, the question is right here. Listen. And you said when you expect prices to get back to normal, Mr. President? I hope by the end of next year, we're much closer, but I can't make that prediction. I just, I'm convinced they're not going to go up. I'm convinced they're going to continue to go down. Convinced they're going to continue to go down. When asked his, his expectation for prices, uh, whether they'd be under control a year from now, Courtney, risky politically to say that, uh, but that is kind of the consensus, right? Is that your expectation? Was he correct the end of next year? I mean, our viewpoint is that if the Fed can manage to get inflation below 3%, that's a significant accomplishment at the end of next year. I wouldn't say, though, that that's normal. That's not what Americans have expected the inflation rate to be for you know, the past couple of decades. So um, not our view that we're going to be back to normal under 3%, significant accomplishment. We don't think they're going to be able to get that to that 2% target rate. Boy, well, there it is. Uh, thanks for being with us, Courtney. Uh, great to have your perspective. Courtney Rosenberger, Managing Director, Strategus, as we reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with another tough knot here 
to untie Jeannie. The president, I'm sure his communication staff would prefer he not be taking questions like that, particularly when he's asked. But he's put it out there now. So did he just drop the marker on the end of next year? Is that what he'll be judged by? Yeah, you know, he likes to set these red lines that makes it's got to make everybody oh. very, very nervous because he's done it many times before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, you know, he he's right into the extent that the numbers are going in the right direction. But to make a prediction like that is tough because we have to keep in mind if the target is two percent at seven point one, we still have high inflation and there's no guarantee it goes down. So we're sort of in this strange position of, you know, celebrating all the time a seven point one. Well, it's the right direction but it's still high inflation and i think a note of caution is better you know it's almost like when you get on a flight and they say we're going to land at four and you land at 345 and everybody celebrates it's better that way than the opposite you land at five and you're all annoyed so the president's got to be careful (laughs) well that's the that's the deal it's a big game of expectations particularly when it involves markets rick was that uh, an unwise thing to say well, it certainly, you know, uh, I think reflected the enthusiasm the markets had with this news today. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, it, rational exuberance maybe a little bit today, as uh, the Fed chair used to say. But um, look, I, you know, this is the one thing I really don't understand about this administration. They continuously put their hands into the inflation cookie jar, right? You know, mm-hmm. they denied that it was going to be a problem. Then when it was a problem, they blamed it on the Fed, said the Fed had to fix it. And then the minute there's any kind of, you know, softening of the news around it, they take credit and want to run a victory parade. So uh, if, if if I were advising the White House, I'd say, don't talk about this stuff. I mean, <laughs> just lay off and let, let the market decide for you whether or not it's good or bad. But uh, it's been a uh, real up and down kind of uh, feature within this administration. And even today, they continue to, to, to prime that pump. Should we assume, and I'm, I'm guessing this is a yes, Jeannie, uh, that we're going to live the next calendar year once again, as we, as we just live 2022, with a month-to-month check that CPI will be the most important stop in the road economically and politically for this administration for this next year ahead? Yeah, for the next year ahead, at least. And I think it could go, you know, at least I think it can go two years because, of course, we're bumping right into another election cycle and a presidential one at that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, on the plus side for the president, gas prices have fallen. But again, you're seeing housing up, you're seeing food up, and these have a real impact on people's lives. And so as opposed to making predictions about when things are going to stabilize and come down and mm-hmm. be where he wants them to be, he, he needs to be a little more circumspect. And he needs to talk about the fact that people are still feeling pain because we can't remember, we can't forget this is just about a rate of increase. It doesn't mean prices are down. And that's a big difference. Well, it would, it's not lost on us. Of course, he'd be in the throes of a presidential reelection campaign if he follows through with this. Right at the time, he's saying that inflation uh, will will be essentially beaten here, Rick. Uh, for Donald Trump, it was COVID numbers, right? We we're always checking COVID numbers to get a sense of, of of his place in the universe. For Barack Obama, it was the jobs report every month. You could say the same uh, to a large extent for, for George W. Bush. Is this going to be an inflation uh, data check every month for another year for Joe Biden? Sure. Uh, Consumer price index is something that the public has gotten used to hearing about. Right. We talk about it constantly. It's not Mm -hmm. a shock to anybody to uh, to hear, you know, when it's reported. And and it does reflect to a large degree the impact that's happening on the consumer. And other things like consumer sentiment indexes have always been good political barometers of the success or failure of an existing administration. So 
Uh, look, I ran a presidential campaign in the middle of one of the greatest downturns in the history sure of the world, and I uh, didn't have any fun watching my candidate give a speech while the, the market declined oh. on the same screen. So uh, I think the, the, the more this Biden administration can let those uh, regulators uh, do their job and not get in their way and make predictions, the better off they'll be. Well, Fed Day is tomorrow, and we've got a lot to learn still, although everyone's obviously fixed on a 50 basis point move. We'll see what that Q&A is like. You know, I always stop and listen, as I know you both do, to, to Michael McKee, the, our, our great economics editor here at Bloomberg. No matter what order he comes in, the questioning, he always seems to be the guy who stops Jay Powell and makes him say something newsworthy. So we'll be doing this at this time tomorrow, of course. Meanwhile, something remarkable announced today by the energy secretary, and it wasn't low gas prices. The creation of what amounts to be, and I'm going to steal the words of the Washington Post, a miniature star. Here's Jennifer Granholm. We're here to talk about fusion, combining two particles into one. Last week at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, scientists at the National Ignition Facility achieved fusion ignition. Yeah. And that is creating more energy from fusion reactions than the energy used to start the process. It's the first time it has ever been done in a laboratory. Incredible. Anywhere in Fusion. the world. The world. Simply put, this is one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. Incredible. Or as the president might say. Uh, wait for it. Wait, wait for it. You gotta let the applause go before the BFE joke. Okay, okay. I do think he probably did say this is a BFD. Yes, there you go. A BFD and a truly incredible, sort of mind blowing moment here when you consider what was just done. Uh, this will someday, maybe not as quick as you want, they say, lead to truly clean energy, carbon-free and abundant energy. And when you think about what they did, they created a miniature star. All I could think of was hanging out with the professor in Animal House. Remember this? So that means that our whole solar system could be like one yeah. tiny atom in the fingernail of some other giant being. Right. <laughs> It's too much. That means that one tiny atom in my fingernail could be Must one little tiny universe. With apologies to Jeannie Shanzano, <laughs> an actual professor. Jeannie, come on. This is incredible stuff. It is. Oh, that just brought me back. I love it. So, so Joe, I was. Somebody reminded me of another movie of Back to the oh, Future when he yes. returns with the car and it's powered by nuclear fusion. There you and go. And that's literally when you talk about it. You know, BFD. And yes. you know, this is a game changer. It would I mean, change humanity. It would change human history. Changes civilization. I mean, think mm -hmm. about the number of wars, our geopolitics that are fought over energy. Think about the impact on climate. I mean, it is just so wide ranging. Of course, we are a long way away from you know 
from that. But the impact, I mean, I think the secretary is absolutely right. The impact, it is a BFD. And I, I, I love the fact that you highlighted this because <laughs> what, and Animal House, because what an important moment this is potentially for, you know, for everything from climate to the economy to, uh, you know, the way we live our lives. My brain's a little bit small to really understand uh, what we're talking about here. I can, I can kind of describe it as you just heard, Rick, but this happened in a federal government building, a high security federal government building, reminding us that our government is actually up to some pretty incredible things. We just don't usually talk about it. Yeah. Kudos to the boys at Lawrence Livermore. I mean, you know, isn't this the greatest thing for a bunch of science nerds like we are? I mean, over the weekend, we got the Armitus uh, 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 Orion splashing down. And today we've got nuclear fusion. I mean, what's next? I can't (laughs) wait to see what this weekend brings. Well, Um, you know, and it's an answer to Elon Musk as well. He's not the only one helping us uh, reconsider the future of civilization, is he? Yeah, these geniuses are on a government payroll. You know, they're not listed on the 100 wealthiest people on the face of the earth, but they could be the most transformational organization on the face of the earth. And and how much fun did, you know, Secretary Granholm have today to be able to make this announcement? It's like, true, oh, yeah. you know, I'll take the job, but only if I can announce a breakthrough in nuclear right. fusion. When we get <laughs> last like, achieved It's fantastic. Fusion. First time anyone managed to create net energy. That alone, that that is an incredible statement, Jeannie Shanzano. So... Hats off to the government. That's right. And it is that those kinds of investment is what it takes. And of course, a big question going forward is, do we have the resources to move this in from the government into the private sector where these breakthroughs will, you know, come to fruition? And that's going to be a big question for, you know, governments around the world as we move forward. But what a day today was for her to be able to announce this. That's right. We don't need roads. How true. We'll be throwing garbage and stuff in there to power the uh, the flux capacitor, right? Oh, now we're mixing metaphors. We're mixing movies. Rick and Jeannie, thank you. It's great to be back with you. I forget how important this talk is for me every day. You don't forget, though. That's why I always come here. And why you should subscribe to the podcast. Sound on. The fastest hour in politics. Bring it up, Justin. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.